podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show on ESPN in association with Betfred. Good to have you with us, gang, as we get closer to the draft. More perspective coming your way from an ESPN insider, brilliant talent evaluator, and of course, longtime friend of the show. Tom Lugerville dropping by very shortly, giving us his take on the quarterbacks going in the first round, including Mac Jones. He's got some fascinating insight on why Mac Jones's stock has risen and who he thinks the 49ers should take third overall. We'll get into some key news with him as well. And speaking of the draft, our next College Days episode with Ben Isaacs drops later on this week. Ben will be looking at the best running backs, best wide receivers, and indeed the best pass catchers collectively coming your way in the draft next week. Our build-up continues, so make sure if you haven't already, subscribe to the feed and you will not miss an episode. Right, let's get straight down to business with the brilliant Tom Lugerville. The man, the legend, Tom Lugerville in the house, resplendent in a Superman t-shirt as well. Loving, <laughs> loving your drip there, Tom. <laughs> Good to see you, man. Good to be with you. Lots to get into. I want to talk plenty of draft chat with you, but let's start with the news that Julian Edelman has retired because I want to get your perspective on his career collectively. And the question that everybody is asking, it always seems to be the way when a player of this caliber hangs him up. Is he Hall of Fame worthy or not? Bill Belichick said that Edelman is a player who's come further than most every other he's coached. That was the quote from Belichick, which is high praise indeed. And he's another Belichick success story, right? He's a seventh round pick. I mean, this was a guy that was under the radar when he was drafted, wasn't he? Yeah, well, seventh-round pick, and he was a quarterback in college. So not only was he a seventh-round pick, he had to make one of the most difficult transitions by switching positions once he got to the National Football League. It's one thing to do that in high school and in college, and then you have four or five years of college, then you move into the NFL, and you're kind of solidified at the position. This guy kind of was a learn-as-you-go type of player. I Listen, I, I think that a guy like Julian Edelman, Edelman you, you have to, in all fairness – Look at this through the lens of Tom Brady. If you remove Tom Brady from the equation, is Julian Edelman have the career that he had? And I, I think that's where a lot of people have doubts or questions. They don't want to disrespect or, or besmirch the accomplishments of Julian Edelman. I just don't know if people are convinced that those accomplishments would be as far along if they hadn't had such great stability at the quarterback position. But from Bill Belichick's perspective, I get it. Unbelievable work ethic, relentless heart, tough, reliable. Yeah, I bet if you talk to Tom Brady and they said, okay, it's third and eight, all right, there's three seconds to go. You're on the plus 20-yard line. We're only down by two. All we got to do is kick ourselves a field goal. Who are you looking for on that down? And he's going to probably tell you Julian Edelman. So from that regard, um, I, I think the guy warrants a tremendous amount of respect putting him in the category of the Jerry Rices of the world and the, the Hall of Famers and the world-class guys, I don't know if that's necessarily on par. I'm glad you mentioned Jerry Rice because I sit firmly in the Edelman 
has to have serious consideration for the hall. And this is why, because the, the, the naysayers, the counter argument is he hasn't achieved enough. He didn't achieve enough in terms of overall productivity and, and therefore primarily regular season productivity. Just to put the numbers out there, he had a 12 year career, which says a long, uh, says a lot. Yeah. 620 receptions that second time with the Pats. Of course, he played his entire career at Foxborough, fourth in receiving yards. Uh, uh, in terms of franchise history, it's over 6,836 receiving touchdowns. So those are the numbers. And people say, okay, they're great numbers. You know, he's a, it's a hell of a career. They're not Hall of Fame numbers. But when you factor in the postseason productivity, and I, I played Tom mm-hmm. the same argument with, with Eli Manning, who I know is another contentious, oh, is he, which side of the line are you on? A lot of people don't feel Eli should be anywhere close to the Hall of Fame when you look at his body of work for much of his career compared to his contemporaries. And, and I get that argument, but I think you have to upweight the postseason productivity. And Edelman is, other than Jerry Rice, is the most prolific in the postseason. I think Less, that has to, yeah. has to count for a significant amount. Well, it does. And to your point is, is you know, you, you take a look at, you know, other guys in the playoffs. You look at Eli Manning. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Without the postseason, Eli Manning isn't even in the discussion. Right. So it kind of lends to why you're saying Julian Edelman uh, should be is when it became the most important, mm-hmm. when it was all on the line and it's win or go home. He played his best football. And yeah. I don't think that's something that anybody can take away. And I think it's it's valid. It's valid uh, for that to be utilized to sway people's minds because yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. You know, the 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 flip side, if I'm the devil's advocate, I'd say, okay, well, um, not every player based off of their individual um, situation, maybe what uh, inst- what program they're at, what team they're playing for, has that same postseason opportunity. And right. so fair or unfair, that's kind of the other side of the coin. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, it will be a debate on, uh, uh, that will run and run, of course, inevitably. But uh, I'm leaning on the clutch. I'm leaning on the, the, the individual <laughs> clutch maneuver to get him over the line there. Uh, the Browns making moves is where I want to go next, Tom. Uh, Jadavian Clowney to partner Miles Garrett, which uh, terrifying everybody else in uh, in the league, that combination. I mean, Sheldon Richardson moves on. That's the revolving door nature, particularly this year, of course, with the salary cap management being particularly acute. But it's a hell of an addition to a team that's already stacked and you got Odell Beckham coming back, of course, and uh, seemingly sticking around and, and could have a real bounce back year. You got to be very high on the Browns going into next season. Well, you have to be, and, and not only getting somebody like Jadavion, and I think we, you always got to put a little asterisk, asterisk by him because mm-hmm. when he decides he wants to play, right. he's as good, if not better than anybody in, in pro football. When he doesn't, he disappears. And then he's had to battle some injuries too. But the most important thing about that signing is it gives them somebody to take away from the attention that Miles Garrett draws. You have somebody on the other side now where you can't just isolate Miles Garrett and try and limit his productivity because you're not worried about the guy on the other side. That's ultra important. But for the Browns as a whole, I think the most important thing that they have going on is for the first time in what, 15, 20 years, maybe more, they are an organization that has confidence in who they are. Mm. Like they're, they're not the laughing stock getting the first overall pick of the NFL draft where everybody's waiting for them to screw it up. They finally got it right. And now all of a sudden, the pieces of the puzzle around them, they hired the right coach. Everything seems to kind of be aligning. They've got a powerful locker room now. They have team chemistry. 
They're, they're no longer a place where in free agency you tried to avoid if you're a high-profile guy. Now you look at Cleveland as a legitimate option. Right. So they've got a lot going for them as, as an organization. I think that speaks volumes because when, when, it, when everything around you is just surrounded by negativity, I mean, that just drains everybody. Right. So for the first time, they don't have that. They're in a position now where people are excited about them. They're excited about themselves. They've generated conference and chemistry, and that goes a long way. I think it's, it's such a great point that you, and bringing the two things together, you, you think of Clowney going there three, four years ago, that is a dead oh. set lock for a disaster. <laughs> but right. now yeah. it's rolling into absolutely an upbeat franchise. Uh, yeah. Interesting times for the brands. Maybe they've finally turned the corner. One of the news story I want to get your take on quickly with, uh, with workouts starting out again, a number of players sitting them out at the moment, opting out right now, 15 of the 32 teams have had players that, that have done that so far. Some big names coming out as well, defending that position, Tom Brady, most notably, of course. Uh, and it's interesting when you look, Tom, at how effectively the NFL has navigated COVID from the very beginning, really, the, the off-season last year, of course, the draft as we're coming up to, uh, all the way through to a, a regular season, which had very few hiccups. Mm-hmm. The Super Bowl was on time. I mean, it's been impressive stuff. But it isn't going away uh, at the moment, and it's rearing its head again, the, the impact of it uh, to this degree. I just wanted to get your take on knowing players as, as you do at, at every stage of the game, you know, high school, college, and, uh, and the pros. The next man up mindset where most players, not the Bradys of this world, not the Clownies of this world, but your rank and file NFL pro will always play through injury because they're worried amongst other things and primarily about losing their gig, right? That that's always mm-hmm. been the way in, in the NFL. Is this going to be a situation where that is absolutely happening with COVID and should the league take a, a, a particular stance here? Do they have a duty of care, I guess, not to exploit the fact that quite clearly a lot of players right now with COVID still looming uh, fairly significantly are going to be opting in and playing because they're worried about losing their livelihood and you're and you're asking this in relationship to like off-season otas organized specifically, team activities specifically and all that, but yeah. i guess on an ongoing basis with COVID around yeah yeah I, I think now that you know the vaccine is is obviously being dis, uh, distributed and you've got you've got a season that all of these folks went through they made it through to your point to to some degree in my mind i think as, as a collective group the players are probably saying you know what Let's just hang tight here. Let, let's get through the next two to three months where we get more and more of our population vaccinated so that we just further ensure our safety. And if there's a duty of care, if the NFL were to take one on, and obviously it would have to be in conjunction with the collective bargaining agreement, the players union, it would be to say, guys, we're not going to put the, like you said, if uh, you have a 53 man roster player one through 35. All right. The play, the, like you said, the, rank and file guy that's, you know, probably going to make your active roster, may never be a star in the league, going to play for a long time. But that guy feels like he has to participate in the offseason program uh, to maintain his status. If the NFL were to step in and say, hey, listen, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to back off for a while. Everybody do their own individual thing. Nobody's going to be punished for it. Individual organizations, hey, listen, this is what we're going to do. This is our, our, our plan and our steps to make our plan to move forward and maybe just back everything up, get through the NFL draft. Um, obviously it's a little bit unique with the NFL draft being where it is because you immediately have the mini camps that follow. And those mm-hmm. are important for those rookies and free agents that are assigned to, to take part in those. Um, but I, I can see where you're coming from and I can see why 
you know, the Tom Brady's of the world that know that they don't need to participate in those things. Um, it's easy for them to step away, but mm-hmm. maybe the pressure of not participating to participating is a lot harder for somebody that feels like they need it, or they'll be heavily scrutinized if yes, they don't, because you don't That's want anybody feeling pressured yeah. into having to participate for the sake of losing a roster spot. So uh, whether it's the players union or the NFL, I, I don't think it would be a bad idea for them to come together and figure out a plan that benefits everybody where nobody feels threatened, nobody's in danger and everybody wins if there's a path to do that. Particularly if it is unspoken, you know, if it is this sense of, well, you know, eyebrows are yeah. raised and nobody's going to come out and say it, but, oh, he's ste- he's stepping and keeping away for a few weeks. Ooh, not sure about his character. Yeah. Who does he which- think he is? He's not yeah. at that level. Exactly. Yeah. And speaking of which, let's get on to the draft and Trevor Lawrence will lead with because there are similar things I guess you could apply here. The presumptive number one overall pick, I think everybody uh, is pretty clear. He's going uh, number one overall. Had to take to social media, to Twitter specifically, Tom, this weekend to defend himself. I won't read his entire... I think he had three separate tweets. I won't read it all, but just to give a snapshot, I'm internally motivated. I love football as much or more than anyone. It is a huge, and he went caps on huge as well, priority in my life and so on and so on. Is this just absolutely ridiculous draft type spinning out of control uh, that some feel the need to question whether he's got the focus to make it as a pro or, or is there something in this? I think it's absolute lunacy that (laughs) he or anyone in his camp felt it necessary to issue a public social media, uh, not apology, but a clarification on his statements, which are based off of some of the statements he made in the Sports Illustrated article. And and a lot of that revolved around his overall life as a human, his, his, his marriage, interests outside of football. Here's the way I look at that. To me, you can be the most competitive person in, in the world, but it doesn't mean that you have to be consumed by one thing in your life. I think mm. what it shows for a young person is remarkable perspective, right. a remarkable view of your self-worth as a whole, and that it's okay to have interests outside of football. It's okay to you know voice that. It, it's okay to, I think, let people know that, hey, I'm going to work. I'm going to be a competitor. I've always been that. There's nothing in my history that's ever led anybody to believe that I'm not the first person in the building and the last person out, that I'm not a worker in the weight room, that I'm not a leader. I've never had an off-the-field issue. I've never had a drug issue. I've never had a DUI issue. The fact that he merely stated that there are things in his life that are also important that he wants to enjoy and it doesn't just all have to be about football, I I just – I was blown away – by the backlash and either further blown away. And I felt sorry for him. It's like, dude, you don't have to apologize for anything. You don't have to clarify anything. Yeah, right. I, think, I thought it was ludicrous. Um, it kind of drives me nuts, but it's also an indictment and a reflection upon the society that we're living in right now. Everything, you, no matter what you say, it's going to be scrutinized. Mm-hmm. And in many instances, it's going to be pulled out of perspective or out of context to maybe fit a certain narrative. Mm-hmm. And listen, we're in nitpicking season right now, right? We got to find, we got to find something wrong with everybody. Yeah. Right. The reality is they can't find anything wrong with him. And Mm. it's, and it's really quite honestly, I think it's frustrating Mm. whether it's the national media, social media fans, you're trying to find something that is wrong with this guy. Cause that's, that's what all the pre-draft stuff is. If Mm. you're a head coach, GM, scout, assistant coach, whatever, it is your job to uncover a red flag, Mm. a red flag that could lead, to a $50 million decision that backfires on you, right? right? So you want 
to avoid that at all costs. Yeah. There are no perfect players. He's going to have his flaws too. I was asked this exact same question on a radio show that we did. I was on the Sirius XM ACC network and we were talking about ACC draft prospects, of course, Clemson in the ACC. And, you know, somebody said to me, well, you know, what part of his game needs to improve? And I said, I don't know if it's a part of his game. I think it's something that we haven't seen yet. I was asked, well, what is that? And I said, this kid's entire life, his entire life, he was a starter as a freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. He went 84 and two, four years of high school and throughout his college career at Clemson. He's never had anything bad happen to him. Right. Never dealt he's with never, he's never had to deal with a bunch of adversity. He's never mm-hmm. had to deal with things not going your way and you get smacked in the mouth and you've thrown three interceptions and now you still got to hang in there. Right. And all by, by the way, he's going to an NFL franchise where guess what? They're not going to be the best team on the field. Mm. And, and and he is going to get smacked in the mouth. So my, it isn't what part of his game can improve. It's what's he going to do when for the first time in his career, things aren't maybe going as planned. Right. And that's a, the answer to that question is something nobody knows yet. Right. Nobody knows. Right. It's a great point. Uh, so many great points there. I'm with you 100% on the absurdity of it all. And as, as you suggested, uh, to me, it makes me more confident in him in, in terms of his mental strength that he feels comfortable yeah. to say that. And, uh, and it's it, it, incredible. But as you say, uh, picking holes. And that seems to be very much, in, we're talking about uh, that situation where stock is falling because of all the holes that are being blown in to players. Justin Fields is, is, has been the, the, the biggest victim of that in the last couple yeah. of years. But he seems to be bouncing back now. It seems to be a kind of reversion back to looks like Fields is going to go at three. After all, the 49ers are going to take him at three. So why, firstly, do you think Fields has taken so much flack and his stock has fallen so dramatically in the last few months? Well, I, I think the... I think the false narratives and the rumors that were swirling about his questioning his work ethic, I think that that hurt um, and it was completely false and, and, and there's, there's no truth to it. And there's been multiple, multiple people come out in his defense in that regard. I personally, I think it revolves around three games. It revolves around the Indiana game, the Northwestern game, and uh, the college football playoff game um, outside of, of, of Clemson. They, and, and it's unfair because we can scrutinize, we can scrutinize everybody in against three good opponents that maybe didn't play good, but because maybe the big 10 has been perceived to be down a little bit, it played a lighter season this fall, didn't play a full set of games. And so the Northwestern game and the Indiana game becomes magnified. Right. And um, yeah, he had some turnover issues. Okay. Guys are going to have some turnover issues. That's going to be part of it. The reality is he's a, is a transcendent talent, physical mm-hmm. talent in terms of his skill set. I do think he has the aptitude to process and, 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 and be a progressive passer. What I mean by that is a guy that's not just throwing bubble screens and, you know, dinking and dunking and throwing RPOs where everything's pre-scripted for him. I do think he's a guy. And, and when you look at his overall career, he had more total offensive yards the last two years than all of the other quarterbacks. Right. And so none of that's not, it's not all coming off of five yard out routes and slant mm-hmm. routes. They're throwing the ball downfield. You don't get that much chunk yardage without throwing the football downfield. So, mm-hmm. you know, it'll be interesting with the 49ers with Kyle Shanahan. And, and, you know, I know the talk between Mac Jones and Justin Fields and, and, you know, Kyle did such a good job with Matt Ryan at Atlanta. And so a lot of people feel like, okay, well, Mac Jones is the closest thing to Matt Ryan and that's a marriage there. But, 
man, as far as athletic talent and skill set, Justin Fields is superior to Mac Jones in that regard. Yeah, that I mean, this is why the Mac Jones hype train has, has been in full effect because of the simpatico, right? Because the compatibility. I'm baffled by it. Oh, yeah. I, I'm baffled by it, and, and, I, and I'll tell you why. And this is, I don't want to sound like I'm knocking Mac Jones here. I really don't. But Mac Jones was not in the ideal situation. He was in a stratosphere of elite, not good, elite personnel at every position around him on the best team, no question, in college football. And now just to give some background, so – Mac Jones originally committed to the University of Kentucky out of high school as a late bloomer, got it needed to develop. Okay. He ends up signing in the same class with two at Alabama. And quite honestly, Alabama probably took him just to have another arm, just to have another guy in that class. Never really probably envisioning he'd pan out. My question has been this. If he would have gone to Kentucky, would we be having a conversation about Mac Jones right now being a top five overall pick? Mm. Secondly, I've used Zach Wilson as an example here. BYU had this remarkable year a year ago, right? BYU's offensive skill probably doesn't have a player that would rank in Alabama's too deep, okay? If you took Mac Jones and you put him at BYU and you took Zach Wilson and you put him at Alabama, I think Alabama would have the exact same season they had last year. Mm -hmm. I don't think BYU would have the same season that they had with Zach Wilson. And again... Do I think he's a good player? Yes. But when you're taking a guy in the top five or the top 10 at quarterback, you are essentially saying you're the face of our organization for the next 10 years. And we're expecting you to take us to a Super Bowl. Mm. And I don't know if there's a physical skill set in there that would tell me that maybe Mac Jones is that type of guy. And I may be wrong. I may be way off base, but I think he's been the most baffling of the discussion Mm. of a top five overall selection. It, it did come out of nowhere because you look at, I mean, you know, mock boards for the last year and yeah, maybe he was projected as a first round and kind of mid to late first round and kind of gradually more and more. And then suddenly out of nowhere, the 49ers trade up a couple of days later, bam, he's suddenly going third overall. But I know that seems, which way do you think they'll lean that? Do you think they'll go fields in the end? I think it all depends on the style of quarterback that Kyle Shanahan feels most comfortable with. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and, I, and that's why that's such a difficult question to answer because conventional wisdom and history would tell you it would be Mac Jones. But the league as a whole is going in another direction. They're, we're getting more dynamic playmakers. We're getting more more Lamar Jackson-esque type players. Um, you know, the Dak Prescott guys that can move, they can run. You can depend on them to create plays. That's the one thing with Mac Jones is he's not a bad athlete, but he's not going to pull a rabbit out of the hat right. and get you out of a bind. What looks like it's going to be a 10 yard sack. And the next thing you know, it's a 20 yard touchdown pass. Mm. So I think you got to, you got to base it off of that. And maybe where the, uh, the NFL is evolving towards in that regard, you take just one more for you. Assuming the top three will take quarterbacks, which I think they will, right? The last time we saw that, the one, two, three as quarterbacks in the in the draft was 1999. Tim Couch to the Browns, Donovan yeah. McNabb and Akili Smith. So one that three hits there. At yeah. One, two, three, which um interesting. That will leave two projected first rounders left, right? Whichever, you know, where the 49ers go. I think one and two are pretty clear. Which teams do you think might trade into a spot? to land one of those two players which teams do you think are most likely to wheel and deal to get a quarterback 
That's a really, really good question. It's not going to be Cincinnati, obviously. It could be Atlanta. Um, but I, I like I like where their spot is right now. Um, the question is, if it depends on who is that third quarterback that's taken. Right. Because if it's Justin Fields, you may not see somebody make a trade up to try and take Mac Jones that high. Yeah. If it's Mac Jones, you may see somebody jump up to take a Justin Fields that high. Right. right. So I, I think it's it'll um it'll be interesting to see which one the 49ers take. Maybe the more intriguing question in all of this is what does Cincinnati do? You know, everybody's talking about Jamar Chase. Bum Cincinnati and Penny Sewell still on the board. Mm. That guy, pound for pound, might be the best player in the entire draft. Yeah. There's no way I'm taking a wide receiver over an offensive tackle. You With Barry, you've got to bed that line. And what they've done in the offseason, a little bit on the line, but they've left a lot to get sorted out. So this is their oh, best yeah. I'm with you. Tom, absolute pleasure catching up with you, man. Great to see yeah, you. Man. Look after you yourself, too, bud. Man. Come and, come right, and check thanks, out. Thanks, man. Take care, bro. Take care. Great stuff from Tom. We're back with our next College Days episode later on this week. Should be dropping Friday-ish, so make sure you keep your eyes peeled for that one. Ben, as I said at the top of the show, casting his eyes over running backs and pass catches. Who's going where? Who are the names to look out for? And indeed, some sleeper picks as well that could go late round that could end up making a big name for themselves in the NFL. We've got your set, gang. For the draft, keep with us. We'll check in with you soon. Fellow baseball nuts, join us on the Johnny and Josh show with my baseball brothers, where JC will endeavor to offer some insightful analysis. And my friend, Eric Jansen, will offer quirky baseball trivia. But we also have David Langell, who will combine a high level of inappropriateness with a low level of analysis. The Johnny and Josh Show, available to download wherever you listen to your podcasts. Sports Social Podcast Network.